You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Monster House presents Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Subtext, The Projection Booth, and The Daily Meditation Podcast. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. Hey there, Monster Talkers. It's me, Blake Smith. What? Do I sound different? Oh, my bad. I was just messing around trying to get an old-timey computer synthesis voice to record. Sadly, technology has improved so much that all the easy-to-record voices sound too natural to create the ambience I'm looking for and the ones that still sound like vintage machines are too difficult to record with my current hardware setup. But that's okay. We're going to be hearing a couple of stories across this two-parter and they both involve old computers and time travel. Part 1 is titled Ghost in the Machine. So hop into your DeLorean, stomp the gas, and get this baby up to 88 miles per hour, because when we get to 88 miles per hour you're going to see some serious. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. I really love the story we're covering here in part one of this two-part series. I'm an incurable Anglophile, and this story involves a small, quaint village in England, a fantastic bit of personal computer history, poltergeists or maybe ghosts, time travel, and more. And we had a couple of ways of covering this material that appealed to me. One would have been doing a deep dive into the history and all the details of these cases. But lately, I've been running a little low on mental gas. And taking another couple of high-detail, low-payoff cases might have caused me to blow a gasket. The two stories we're going to cover are a bit obscure and are of dubious plausibility. But I also really enjoy them, even though they're absurd. They're thought-provoking, or at least that's my take, and I hope you agree. 
So I'm not going to front load this one with a ton of backstory, but if after listening to my coverage, you find that you need more detail on the claims in this story, I can point you to the source book for this case, The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster. The story you're about to hear is convoluted. The author's name is a pseudonym, and it feels like every character is also a pseudonym or fictionalized in some way. But it's still probably the best story I've read about a ghost from the past, a time traveler from the future, and the plucky little 8-bit computer that brought them all together. Let's get to the Monster Talk. Groovy. Hey, Karen. I, You know, I don't even think we talked. To, did we talk about it at all last time? Last episode was our 300th episode. I don't even know if we mentioned it during our, our interview. We might have at the very end. I don't think we did. I think that you produced it and then you emailed or texted me about it and said, hey, that was the 300th. And I was like, what? So I thought we just did the 200th. Uh-huh. It does so, feel like that. It does. Yeah. Time has <laughs> Blown by. Well, congratulations to us. That's appropriate, by the way. Time flying since uh, given the topic. That's very nicely done. <laughs> exactly. I didn't even intend that, <laughs> but you picked up on it. So there we go. Yeah, I but, have a uh, yeah, but... <laughs> It has been said. <laughs> I don't know quite what that is, but uh... no, no. It, well, I'll tell you what it isn't. So there's a condition called Wieselsucht. It's a pathology in in that the people who have this condition don't have any discretion over the condition. So, so like they've got no filter. Right. It's not it's not a it's not a personality trait. It's not mm. just a, a a slight disconnect from saying an inappropriate joke at an inappropriate time. It is a pathological mm. problem. It's very serious. And so yeah, yeah. That, it always bugs me when people people make jokes about like, oh, you've got this condition and they, they point links to the And the inappropriate jokes. Yeah. But but I the truth is I can stop punning anytime I want. And frequently what people people will be surprised when we're doing you an episode. Just don't. <laughs> well, I like punts. I like wordplay. And I also like sarcasm mm-hmm. and innuendo and mm-hmm. uh, uh, palindromes and acronyms and Hypographia? Yeah. Yeah, maybe I have that. Okay, but but the point is <laughs> I, it's I don't have a an inability to stop punning. I just happen to like puns, so it, it's not a pathology. Yeah. It's a choice. Well, you know, you know when to stop. I mean, I, I would say that's the case. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. We uh, we have Brian Sharpless coming on the show next week, and perhaps we should ask him about this. Is there a copay? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've talked about your punning more than talking about the three hundred. Yeah, so let's get back to that. Although both are pretty serious (laughs) conditions, I think. (laughs) Yeah. 300 is a lot. It is, but I think we could easily do another 300 more. And then 600 on on top of that. Bigfoot. All about Bigfoot, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Uh, the thing is, you know, we we knew from the beginning we would be talking about more than just monsters. I mean, the, the. The monsters Mm -hmm. are, you know, our springboard top, you know, to get to these other topics, Mm -hmm. but we're about. Critical thinking, you know, considering paranormal and weird things, but always because mm-hmm. those skills are useful for more than just monsters. They're, you know, they're useful for all kinds of uh, evaluation of, of ideas. And, and as we move forward into this strange new world with artificial intelligence mm-hmm. becoming more and more prominent and fake news and fake mm-hmm. videos and, you know, all this mm-hmm. content, having those skills to help you. Uh, be able to determine what's real and what's false is, I think, mm-hmm. extraordinarily important. So, Oh, yeah, to be able to, to apply them to anything. And I think this has always just been our show and we'll do what we want to do. That's right. 
Hell yeah. Anything we want to talk about. <laughs> but, uh, but that sounded like another lead into the today's show. It is a bit. Show. It is a bit today. This is going to be a, a two-part episode, I believe, uh, depending mm-hmm. on how much we talk. Um, well, but, and I don't know what I'm in for. I don't know about these stories. So I, uh, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. This will be fun. Okay, so let's start with the first one. This they they both involve time travel, and they both involved old computers. So I'm very, I, I, you know, both of the. I love vintage computers a lot. So mm-hmm. yep, Matt too. I think back in um, it must have been around 1980, there was a, a British TV series, The Brits. When they run a series, it would be not unusual to find a series running like six episodes, and that's the whole season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this particular series was based on a a, a, a book called The Mighty Micro uh, by Dr. Christopher Evans, and okay. he produced. They produced a, a TV show uh, called The Mighty Micro, uh, which was a companion to the book, and it basically in 1980 it basically predicted all the ways that the microchip and personal computers were going to change the world. It's incredibly prescient. Right book and they made a six-part mm-hmm. companion series and um unfortunately right before the series went to air christopher evans died so i think the, oh. the final episode uh inst- it was probably going to be him and i think if i understood it correctly and then it ended up being like four mm-hmm. experts talking about the sort of the direction of things but but what that did was it sort of uh invigorated the british public to the importance of the microcomputer and how it was going to change the world well okay were they right? Well, they were, it turns out. Yeah, quite right, quite right. And mm. and what they did was the BBC, which we would know as a broadcasting company, commissioned mm-hmm. the development of a computer, a personal computer. They they, they wanted to, like, you know, it's part of the government. The BBC is not like, you know, ABC or CBS or whatever. It's 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 literally part of the government. People take, you know, yeah. pay a license fee to get their channels and... Uh, <laughs> Right, yes, it, and for the TVs, it, and yes. So this was a, it was a little bit controversial because, you know, they're supposed to be a broadcast company, not a technology company, and you know, mm. but they sent out bids and they basically made a deal with a company called Acorn to produce something called the BBC Micro, which was a really, honestly, quite powerful machine. It was kind of comparable to a Commodore sixty four, but came okay. out came out in nineteen eighty. My brother had one of those. Yeah. I mean, I did too. That was, you know, my first uh, personal computer was a VIC-20 and then a 64. So for someone who was born in the 21st century probably mm-hmm. doesn't remember what it was like uh, to work with these old machines. They they are quite different. Mm-hmm. When you turn them off, oh, yeah. you, they're gone. Everything goes away. You have to start over. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so... The only storage media where boot them up and yeah, yeah yeah yes you boot them up and you basically are you have a, usually there were a couple options you would either be looking at a, a basic that was off a chip generally you would have the computer programming language basic available or you could run commands to load programs from tape or floppy or you could type in commands by hand oh those were the days quite so <laughs> now when you turn on a computer it does lots and lots of things they're all multitasking mm-hmm. uh and frequently multiprocessor systems right. and this was single processor one block of memory and everything had to either be typed in or read off of a, a tape uh, mm-hmm. although the bbc micro was interesting because it had an additional way to load programs you could load them on a rom chip so if you had your bbc micro and you bought the rom 
then you could mm-hmm. buy programs like a word processor. It would be on a chip instead of a floppy or a tape. So when you turned it on, wow. you could get instant access to that program. You would still need to load your you know documents or save them on a floppy or a, a cassette, but uh, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to like load the word processor program, which saved you a lot of time. Right. A lot, boy. Sure. Even when you wait a, a minute or two on a modern computer, it's nothing like the wait times we used to have in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember being introduced to computers in school and in primary school, which is the equivalent of elementary school here, and uh, just being taught things like how to use the space bar. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really I, simple things. Well, they are. But, you know, there was it was kind of a fun time, too, because it was possible if you really applied yourself, you could truly understand what was going on inside the computer back then because it was a lot simpler. And now, mm-hmm. frequently when there's a problem, you've got the operating system, which might have, you know, 50 or 100 programs running simultaneously, managing the resources. Mm-hmm. And where's the problem? Is it the program you're using? Is it a piece of hardware? Is it conflict with another program? There's all these different questions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to troubleshoot. Uh, it's Absolutely. just it's a different world, you know. And I, I've been living in this world for a long, long time. Uh, and I love it. But I, I just, I do have You've a. You've seen sort of, a lot. I have seen a time. lot. And I have a lot of nostalgia for these old machines. And uh, particularly for the British computer scene, which was quite different from the American scene. In America, you had the Commodore 64 and the Apple II kind of dominating mm-hmm. the home computing scene. And uh, mm-hmm. in Britain, you had the Spectrum ZX and the BBC Micro. Uh, it, they also had Commodore, but like those were some of the leading machines. And I, I know I'm oversimplifying, mm-hmm. so uh, if anyone is at home yelling, but what about this and what about that? What about the TRS? Don't and I was like, yeah, don't, I, don't, <laughs> don't bother. I, I, I've got like literally you know, dozens and dozens of books about the hundreds and hundreds of personal computers that were available at the time. And it's, I, I, I love talking about that. It's out of scope for what we're doing tonight. But uh, sure. yeah, so what, yes. but, it, but I just wanted to take you back in time because back then you either had to have a television or a dedicated monitor and the PC was a big block. And then you might have a printer, yes. which would be a dot matrix printer and you might have mm-hmm. a tape driver. Remember those. Yeah. So that's what computing was like. It's a, you know one thing at a time. So mm-hmm. our story is going to take place in a village called Doddleston. And that is in Cheshire, which is mm-hmm. in northwest England, very close to the border of Wales. We are going to have three main characters in this story, although I'm I'm – going to treat this pretty lightly because there is a book associated with this and a lot of people have written about it and made videos and documentaries and stuff but ultimately okay. I, th- I think you'll see why as we get through the story why i, I don't right. think this is that important first of all let's begin with it's not super important what people's names are because everybody <laughs> has a pseudonym in this story <laughs> uh, right one of those stories it is one of those stories <laughs> our, our protagonist is ken webster who's a, a teacher I, it's not. Exa- I guess it's high school sort of equivalent to to here. Um, he teaches <laughs> economics, uh, but he's also a musician and likes to play instruments. And he's put together like he's got a four track recording studio, and he's living with his girlfriend who's nineteen. And so he's a young guy himself. And then he's got another friend. Oh, I thought you were saying it was one of his former students. No, 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 no. No, they're about the, they're they're close. I don't know exactly how old Ken is, but we we can assume right. he's. I think he's in his twenties. Um, okay. But uh, and their their other friend is Nicola 
Baguli or Baguli, but I, again, I don't think anybody's names are real. Okay, so here's the cool part. In this village of Donaldson where Ken lives, he is in a cottage that he's renovating that dates back to the 1600s. Uh, wow, only in England. I know. And it's, <laughs> or in, in Europe, not in Australia. It is such a cool looking, you know, it's a standalone. Um, I don't know what the style is. I, you know, I'm, I'm ignorant about architecture. I'd probably call it Tudor style, but that's probably wrong because Tudor's probably tied to the... That's yeah. 16th century, so 1500s. Yeah, right? yeah okay. Then, So I'm not sure it's Stuart's. Where you have like the exposed woodwork on the outside. It looks oh, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Love those. They, you know, the three of them are living there, and he's you know, renovating the house. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course, how many ghost stories start out with everything was fine until I started renovations? <laughs> yeah, you discovered a, a spare room or hidden room or something like that, so, or but disturbed I, some remains. Exactly. Now, as I said, though, this is a time travel story, but it's going to start out more like a ghost story. So what? happens is they things begin with poltergeist like activity um mm. they're in, they they leave the house they bring their groceries and they leave they go do something they come back and the groceries are stacked weird mm. and mm. things are moved around you know so that's you know noises Something like poltergeist the movie the chairs yeah yeah and you know they mm. don't i believe they had leaks you know some of the classic sort of poltergeisty stuff uh, they, they see this is peculiar. They see footprints on the wall where they had just, you know, been painting and, and cleaning up. They, they see footprints on the wall, on the, going up the wall up to the ceiling, and they're like, "Okay, well, th- is this a, a prank? Is someone messing with us? Are those footprints Sounds like the Gary Indiana? Yeah, yeah, quite, quite. Yeah, is <laughs> is it? Are they real footprints? Why do they have six toes? There are many questions. They're barefoot. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> So, so a cryptid poltergeist. It is peculiar, you know. That, that <laughs> but what is it? It's polydactyl. When you have extra fingers, is it the same for toes? I don't know. Informus correctus. It, regardless, whatever they are, Ken is renovating, so he paints over that, and then they, uh, I believe, they appear again, and then he paints them one more time, and that's mm. the end of that. But then that's when the mm. weirdness starts. So I mean, that was pretty weird. It's already the, started. The stacking's yeah. <laughs> weird. Um, this is 1984. It's autumn. It's this. Remember, the Macintosh is not, or, or is just released in 1984, uh, and that's a huge rent of, you know, a, a revolution uh, coming. But that it takes a few years mm-hmm. before that even becomes a thing. So right. it, it's still unusual to have a computer. People who do tend to be sort of enthusiasts and hobbyists. Yeah. But the schools yep. have been given BBC micros because, again, British government is part of their right. their. Ur- they have an urgent need to make Britain a place where computer literacy is part of the culture so that they aren't left behind by this revolution that's coming. Yeah, very uh, important. It Very much so. And so the school system will allow the teachers to check out and borrow these BBC micros, so mm-hmm. that, which is great because, you know, they're quite expensive. But uh, if you, you know, and even on a teacher's salary, it's much easier to check it out and borrow it. And, they're, you know, that's, right. it, it makes good sense. In, in fact, all you have to do is buy your floppy or cassette for your stored data, and then it really doesn't matter which machine you have because the Edward uh, microchip is installed on these boxes. So if they if he borrows one, the software's already there. He loads it up, he loads his disk, and he can get to work. And so can his girlfriend, Debbie, who also wants to write. 
but they leave the computer on in the kitchen and they get mm. a mysterious message on it. Now, I'm going I'm to read this to you, but mm. I, during the episode, I'm going to replace this with like a uh, computerized voice. Yeah. But here's what it, here's the first message they get. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our whole yeah. show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn pretty flower, turn towards the sun for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, Pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost for this shall be your redeemer. What does this mean? Whoa. No idea, but it's a very peculiar Whoa. message to receive. Well, I've got a question. Sure. Would you, I mean, this is the, clearly these are not the days of uh, receiving email in the way that we know it anyway. Right. I don't know kind of what government intranet was available for organizations and things like that, but could you receive something like that, a message on a computer in those days like that? That is an excellent question. So uh. it, it's the answer is complicated. It's because mm. technology exists all over the place in different ways. As some people have said, the future's here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, sure. So at this time, it is possible to get a modem and to connect to a bulletin board system or to connect to another computer. Or if you have a terminal software, you could connect to a mainframe. Those are all technically possible. But for the home computer user, there was very little recourse if you wanted to share files with other other people or share this kind of information, except through bulletin boards or taking a floppy or a cassette and literally moving to the other computer and copying it. So in this right. case, but if he no incoming. Right. From the school, could it have been hooked up to something somehow? Well, I guess like it would have been theoretically possible for someone to have like loaded a program on the system not not okay it's tr here's the, tr the problem when you turn these computers off everything goes away right so mm -hmm. if you wanted something to happen automatically you either need to like be programming down at these eprom levels or you know one of these these chips that gets inserted 
or you would right. need to figure out how to get it onto their floppy and load it, or you would need to sneak mm. into the kitchen and type. Like if you wrote the whole thing yeah. out, you could like if it was a prank. Or... Well, that's the thing. See, no, but none of the three people who live there admit to writing the message. And, um, you know, but they have people coming and going all the time because they've got this four track recording studio. You know, the f- immediate suspicion falls on uh, his friends who are also musicians who drop by, you know, like maybe they did it as a joke. But um, the, right. Did he get a Polaroid photograph of the message? They actually not this message, but they do end up having photos in the book of some of the messages and then lots of uh Pictures of furniture turned wow. over and furniture stacked and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, hand, yeah, handwriting. Seen that before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Automatic writing, hey? Yeah. Uh, okay, so let me just say that uh, Ken Webster, whoever he is, uh, mm-hmm. wrote all of this up in a book called The Vertical Plane. And that was published in 86. That sounds familiar to yeah. me. You've, have you read it? Uh, I've got it. I've read big chunks of it, but I've not read the whole thing. Um, okay. I've I've read about. Yeah, I think I've read about a third. Maybe it's it's a it's a breezy read, but it's got a lot. It, it goes to interesting places. I'm just say this. This if you think this story is a ghost story, stick around. If you think it's a time travel yeah. story, stick around. A lot of things happen. <laughs> <laughs> but but very but, mysterious. Okay, you could go down some paths to try to figure out how this might have been done through technology. But as we continue talking about this story, I think the only tool we will need to unravel this mystery um, is a uh, a razor. Occam's. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) Because Uh. when it comes down to it, um, even though maybe some of the things that could happen early on were, perhaps possible through technology i think it's much more likely that someone in the house if these things happened then someone in the house must have been doing them that's weird that's a weird message and again combined with the footprints and furniture moving around they first still think prank but as they continue to use the computers for their own purposes they keep getting these weird Mm -hmm. messages and the next Mm -hmm. one that shows up is written in sort of a style ye olde really? kind of thing yeah but but i mean obviously with the limitations of the character set that's loaded on the bbc micro you're not gonna what is that the thorn character that like thorn that, yeah, the, yeah. yeah it looks like a p yeah you're not yeah, gonna get those things a, for example but, but yeah it, and i do think that was in use in middle english anyway i i think that that was old english yeah i uh this is one of those holes in my knowledge for like when did those periods i'm always goofing up like old english middle english modern uh uh medieval early modern like those those eras are very loosey-goosey in my brain so oh, i just looked it up it says the letter thorn was used for writing old english very early on as was a uh which is called f which is i think a, a kind of voiced so kind of like uh, the sound you'd have in uh, these as opposed to thistle. But it says, unlike F, thorn remained in common use through most of the Middle English period. Yeah, my understanding so is that the like the, the, the Y-looking thing for the ye olde is actually a the. Like, so it's actually the old, you know. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah, te- testing my knowledge of Old English and, and Middle English for sure. Yeah. 
But again, yeah. it doesn't matter because um, uh, it was being typed on a 1984, you know, computer. So it's not going to be these. These are not handwritten. There are handwritten messages later, but right. that's not this. Okay. But what the message says, well, I, write I write on behalf, on behalf of, of many. many. What strange words you speak. Although I must confess that I too have been badly educated. Sometimes it seems changes are somewhat obstructive. For many a time they disturb me sleeping in my bed. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman and you live in my house. I have no wish to alarm you for it is only since the half-witted fool ripped apart my confines. Have I been tormented at nights? I have seen many changes. Lastly the schoolhouse and your home. It is a fitting place. With lights which the devil makes. And costly things which only my friend Edmund Gray can afford. Or the king himself. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. L.W. Okay, so this is supposedly coming from someone who lived in the original house. Exactly. Is that what they're that, saying? That is the, in the 1600s. That is the premise. That is the premise. <laughs> As as the story develops, they basically end up having this strange dialogue with this fellow who calls himself Lucas. It's one of those things. Well, how can you prove where you are? Well, how can you prove where you are? <laughs> yeah, and I think at this point, too, it would have been early modern English, so not even middle English. Uh, people receiving these messages, they investigate and discover that there are some inconsistencies in the linguistic style, but largely it's plausible you know, but except for the part where it's a ghost running through a computer right <laughs> i'd love to dig into this more well, i mean that, this is really interesting and i know you know this is my first exposure to uh the story but i'd love to actually see these examples you, i will you know what do, i do some more digging i will send you this book and we can revisit this deeper if you like but it's it's an interesting tale yeah, I you know I do. Yeah, well, let's discuss this now, and then later on, maybe we could look at it from more of a linguistic uh, perspective. I would love to I've do that because I've it. always been conf- well, I've been confounded because there's so many ways that language is used uh, for forensic purposes, and I don't know how accurate those are versus how sort of scientific they are. For example, handwriting analysis is one thing, but linguistic analysis mm-hmm. is another. And then there's graphology, which, graphology. Yeah, which so like there's like it seems like yes, there may yeah. be there's like a there's a science side and then there's a nonsense side, you know, you know what I mean? So yeah, like a forensic side. Exactly. But I've got a friend who is a, an excellent historical linguist, and so I think he would be able to easily look at this evidence and and see whether it really is evidence or not. So, yeah, yeah, I think we'll definitely have to do a part two. Of okay, this well, we can point. come back to it. I, I will. I can send you. The book, if you need me to, it was it had had gotten out of print. I'll see if I can track it down. It was quite it was really crazy expensive, but they've done a reprint in 2021. And now, you know, you can get it for, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks, something like that. But uh, it's 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 again, I have a lot of books uh, that are I would I classify them as sort of nonsense books. You know, we talked about the Mm -hmm. Montauk Project, for example. Um, I had that in the back of my mind, too, when you. Started this show, I thought I, it's reminding me. Well, of that was yeah. That one also had a time, time travel, and you know, you know, actually, I guess mm. it would have been eight bit as well. That's really funny. I didn't think about that, but I get maybe we could put together a whole. You know, <laughs> there's probably a book here, eight bit time travel with more cases, but that, but that's uh, 
Yes, anyway, yeah. that's really funny. But let's keep going. So for for another day <laughs> th- again, because this story gets a little weirder. If you can believe that, uh, you know they uh, impossible. Uh, they do the sort of things you would expect when someone's talking from the 1980s to someone in the 1600s. You know, I have an automobile. Ye have a cart with no horse. You know, you know that sort of yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> well, at, at, were they were they uh, still receiving automatic uh, writing as well on the the walls and. At the same time, or Through, throughout the course of this, there's there's on? messages written on the the walls. There's messages written on notepads. You know, they're like, they, but know, nobody ever sees them happening though. They they like they will pose questions and leave it, and then come back. You know, for the replies. I'd have to say because the the printing press was invented in the 1400s, like the very late 1400s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, like, you know, William Caxton introduced it into England, but. At this point, a lot of people would have been illiterate still. So I just find it well, interesting well, I think, that you've got I, this person. I think he's in the 1600s is when he claims to be Lucas. I mean, uh, oh, but but even still, yeah. I, I think a lot of people were illiterate at that point, and uh, writing was really the domain of monks and other religious people and uh, educated people, wealthy people. So yeah, and, uh, this is all suspicious. you know, and there, you know, he's Not he's, he's asking Lucas, you know. When are you alive? And Lucas is responding about who is, you know, on the throne at the time. And some of these messages are quite long. And we could easily fill up all the audio with me just mm. reading messages. But there are eventually uh, handwritten notes and, you know, messages on the wall. And you could do a lot of uh, hot readings at this point, too, to go back uh, through history and, and see who was reigning at the time. Yes, and, yeah. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to... To put together a prank like this, but anyway, well, exactly. And, and the more the more you mess around with it, the more serious you or the more uh, the more opportunity you have to try to like put in clues that would uh, make it seem authentic. Um, Absolutely, un- yeah. Until until the point when the person on the computer, Lucas or whomever, gets confused and it's like, I I, I don't understand. Are you? Uh, are you Ken Webster in 1984, or are you the people from 2109? And and mm-hmm. they're like, I'm sorry, what? And it, it turns out it's almost like they're on sort of a uh, a time travel party line. And there's these other voices that come through, or these other letters that are sent allegedly from. I, it's a little unclear. Mm-hmm. Is it the year 2109? It's definitely the future where they're sending messages back. Um, and then things start to get wow. get all into like metaphysics because like as there there's a point when well we can explain this to you but you'll it will cost you your soul so if you're willing to give up your soul we're <laughs> perfectly willing to explain everything and I'm sorry like it it goes from technology to souls and consciousnesses and demonology yes, yeah yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. like it it gets supernatural at that point and then it's like at that point you don't try you can't. You can't do the same sort of forensics, historical checking, and all for the future, right? From a skeptical perspective, like like you just like I say, you can go Occam's razor. There's no way this could ever happen. It literally just simply is not possible. Like that, mm-hmm. uh, just sounds like a prank. Yeah, it sounds like a prank. And and what's the guy in the 1600s seeing exactly? What does he mean, like devil lights? And at one point during the thing, he he's like, "Oh, I am in trouble, for they have called me a witch." Like, not really, but I mean, what if his allegedly a friend is telling them that you know he's a, a, a witch, 
and he's in trouble uh, because of all this. He eventually gets Lucas gets out of the witch mess, but you know it, it's uh, it's a ride. Yeah. Uh, this book is a ride. It is absolutely a ride, and and uh, it's fun. Uh, I, I don't think there's much to it, but um, mm. the fact that it's this this weird time travel story using a BBC microcomputer makes it one of the more distinctive stories to come out of the 80s, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it certainly sounds like it's jam-packed full of as much history as anyone could read up on to, to try and make it seem like it's... Uh, legitimate well and, it's an interesting uh, mix because like i said it'll be things like you know my local neighbor did x y or z and they are growing this crop and you're you know that kind of thing you could check those things but you hmm. can't necessarily know precisely and then the names kind of match well, people in the area but not quite hmm. and there's like the school is mentioned and like the times were hmm. not right so there's enough historical inaccuracies right. it's it's just a darn peculiar story um and again, ultimately, it gets yeah. it gets tied up in um, you know questions about the future and and all sorts of metaphysics, which is not my scene. I I I enjoyed the talking to the past, but when it got to the future stuff, it was like I didn't find it as fun. And uh, it, I don't know. I, it it it, it, it mm. they lost me. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just even even looking up doing you know Doctor Google uh, and just doing quick search on the name Lucas. So it's a French name. And it's been recorded going back to, I don't know how accurate this is, but back to 1653. So I don't know if this was early 1600s or mid 1600s, but I just don't know how popular of a name Lucas would have oh, been well, remember, in rural England. Then. Lucas isn't the real name either. That's a pseudonym. Uh, oh, okay. It's LW. It, right. Well, right. But it might be Thomas. Because it partly, like it part of the way through the story, changes his name to Thomas. It is a convoluted mess, but it is highly entertaining. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I can see that again. It's like the Montauk. Yes, project yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. The Montauk was written for like I don't know. It feels like it was written for like a ninth grader, and uh, it, it's a breezy read. But but this one is mm. is is very readable, and I just didn't have time to because I had to wait for the book to get delivered, and we'd already talked about uh, doing this. But it's just mm. it's just an interesting story, and it would be it's one of those things where I don't think there's enough evidence. Uh, of anything plausible to warrant the kind mm -hmm. of work that would be necessary to do the kind of, you know, you, you would not want to waste your time doing a point by point forensic deconstruction of this case from a skeptical perspective, because there's just like, sure. there's no there there, but yeah, it is, but, it is but a, if you pull apart a thread, yeah, then yeah. the whole thing's going to fall apart it, it, probably, but it sounds like a ripping yarn. It is a ripping yarn and it has okay. old computers, yeah. oldie timey <laughs> computers in them, which I love. You know, so. <laughs> And the future. I mean, this is, yeah, what a bizarre story. Yes. And I had never heard of this before. So there we go. Well, let's call this a, uh, a break and then we will continue with uh, our 8 bit time travel in part two. Part two. Part the second. Monster Dog. You've been listening to Monster Dog, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. You just heard part one of our two-part look at time travel and vintage computers. Again, the primary source for this story from part one is the book The Vertical Plane by Ken Webster. But I've linked to other sources related to the story, as well as some info about the fabulous BBC Micro, which became the center of the story. 
Come back next week when we'll be taking a look at another vintage computer time travel story, this one involving an old IBM portable computer from 1975 and a man who claimed to be from a very dark post-apocalyptic future. It's the story of John Titor. Stay tuned. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you, as always, for making our show a part of your listening life. been a monster house presentation when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off, wherever you get your podcasts.